what exactly is magical realism? I would argue that it's much more than a literary genre usually associated with Latin American authors with a slightly surrealist bent. I would argue that it's much more than a slight distortion technique within fiction in general that has the potential to elevate the reading or viewing experience. And I would argue that two essentially complicated words don't necessarily create a less complicated construct together. However, I would also argue that embracing magical realism as a cultural phenomenon can help us understand our own confusing reality better than clear-headed rational and intellectual analyses ever could. The reason for this is simple. Magical realism is a discernible bridge between the two extreme realities that our specific culture consists of, fact and fiction, or, if we allow us some logically speculative slack, truth and untruth. We could list a large number of authors who would fulfill academically constructed criteria of being magical realists. Borges, Garcia Marquez, Murakami, Hesse, Calvino, Akutagawa, Jünger, Pirandello, etc. etc. Far too many to mention, really. Also, it's not as easy a genre to define as others because the backbone is always an actual deliberate vagueness, a transparency that isn't fully translucent in a way. Normal, everyday scenes may be described, but there's always something extra, a word, sentence or a passage that distorts, tilts, jolts, makes you question what just happened. A supra-reading induced by skill and intelligent eloquence and or thematically dazzling or weird material. It's not fantasy, satire, absurdism, surrealism, nor is it necessarily thematically magical or marvelous. The stories of the everyday often contain the most magical nuances, if expressed in an evocative enough way. Borges, as well as magical realism in general, appropriates a well-known form and gently corrupts it, which leads to dislocation. What did I just read? Was it a newspaper, a short story or a film treatment? Especially in Borges' A Universal History of Infamy, containing stories written in the 1930s, with its gallery of weird characters presented almost matter-of-factly. If we are unsure of whether these characters ever actually existed, perhaps it's because we would like for them to exist. This thought contains something like an expression I heard in Werner Herzog's documentary film about his author friend and fellow fabulist Bruce Chatwin. 
it was said that Chatwin told, quote, a truth and a half, end quote. Perhaps the doubt embedded in the fantastical narrative evokes a need in us to be amazed, either in escapist counterpoint to a dreary life, or in affirmation of an imposed uncritical or even anti-critical attitude. Are we really surprised at the number and force of bizarre conspiracy theories in the wake of the memetically induced dissolution of intelligence recently? Reveling in the false as a mainly emotional critique of the true that apparently has no room for their own worthlessness or their own perceived sense of the same is a naive yet potent use of black magic. The passage between conscious irony and unconscious acceptance of the power of a collective leverage is a stretch in which the price is high. A complete negation of individual traits in favor of a mass movement of illusory safety. The meme and slogan swallowing herd in the American Midwest is completely interchangeable with the proletariat of Russia who made Soviet possible <clears throat> and the anxious German middle class who used democracy to elect their favorite Nazi authority and who could then fill their disgruntled lives with some kind of meaning, and who collectively still worship at the scientifically justified materialist altar, while always making bloody sacrifices to the totem animal of the scapegoat. A lie that is repeated often enough times will eventually be accepted as a truth especially in a culture which confuses challenging a point of view with defaming what's called a freedom of expression. It's the same corrupt and corroded pseudo-logic that confuses justice with an aggressively minute interpretation of arbitrary legal paragraphs. The British Catholic author G.K. Chesterton, who was so influential for Borges and many other magical realists, once wrote, quote, A madman is not a man who has lost his reason. He is a man who has lost everything except his reason. End quote. In actually creating fiction, there has always existed the important concept of the suspension of disbelief. When you go to film school and you learn how to make a fictional film, you don't want anything to make the viewer aware of the making of the film. The form has to be flawless, smooth, seductive, and make the viewer get sucked into whatever the narrative is. The language is not just the story itself, but also the storytelling structure. But in news or overt propaganda, the flawed form may actually amplify the potency. 
a blurred phone camera clip of basically any group of people could for instance be used together with an emotional narrative saying these people stole our jobs, raped our women, sold drugs to toddlers, whatever. In a sense, the fictional form is unsuited for the blatant propaganda of the moment, but very suitable for the propaganda having to do with lifestyle and consumer choices. In a sense, the immediate news form, which inherently conveys a sense of truth, is unsuited for the propaganda of lifestyle, but very suitable for assaults on the senses and a shutdown of critical thinking. Then add the power of repetition that commercial advertising has refined for over a century, in which even your own frustration of having seen the same message hundreds of times is not a defense mechanism, but actually rather just an amplification of the message, because you vent your frustration about the brand in question to others, who then will recognize the brand on the shelves of the supermarket, on the skyline, on the TV, in the social media feed, and eventually on the election ballots. Mechanical repetition is a sure way of grinding down resistance in order to facilitate literally demented behavior of stop, go, and yes, no. Wisdom no longer lies in the Akashic records of Madame Blavatsky and other tender theosophists, but in the aphasic records of power-hungry sophists, pure and simple. And perhaps this has been going on longer than we care or dare to believe. Hermann Hesse, yet another wonderful magical realist, wrote in his classic story, The Journey to the East, quote, the whole of world history often seems to me nothing more than a picture book which portrays humanity's most powerful and senseless desire, the desire to forget. End quote. <clears throat> Just like poets, authors and other artists are often intuitively inclined and thereby prescient, like eloquent fortune tellers, their works, just like that of the fortune tellers, can also help set the stages of the future by mere description. This can equally well lead to good things as bad ones, but it seems the bad ones are willing to negate or deny their fictional roots to a greater extent. No matter what, the sphere of the apparently irrational and poetic will always be filled with displays and pre-interpretations of what seems to be inevitable developments in our forgetful futures. Here follows a quote from Ernst Jünger in, from his book The Forest Passage. Quote, <clears throat> Where the automatism increases to the point of approaching perfection, such as in America, the panic is even further intensified. There it finds its best feeding grounds, and it is propagated through networks that operate at the speed of light. The need to hear the news several times a day is already a sign of fear. 
The imagination grows and paralyzes itself in a rising vortex. The myriad antennae rising above our mega cities resemble hairs standing on end. They provide demonic contacts. End quote. Or another one from Hermann Hesse. Quote, and in fact, if the world is right, if this music of the cafes, these mass enjoyments and these Americanized men who are pleased with so little are right, then I am wrong. I am crazy. I am in truth the Steppenwolf that I often call myself, the beast astray who finds neither home nor joy nor nourishment in a world that is strange and incomprehensible to him." End quote. <clears throat> Taking this powerful position in consideration, that of being able to create the future not not by the violent demagogic programming of the moment, but by magical, sensible and intelligent formulations carrying hope and creativity, the author realizes a great power. But unfortunately, most authors are not consciously aware of this magical meta-potential. They are as human and susceptible as everyone else. Perhaps even more so, because they share the artist's neurosis of needing a lot of attention and acknowledgement. Many are the poets and artists that have been swayed into the bellies of the collectivist beasts because they enjoyed the attention they got so much, at least temporarily. I am not certain whether George Orwell, author of 1984 and Animal Farm, was a magical realist or just one of the greatest satirists ever, but he certainly had something in some interesting things to say. <clears throat> Quote, to suggest that a creative writer in a time of conflict must split his life into two compartments may seem defeatist or frivolous. Yet in practice, I do not see what else he can do. To lock yourself up in the ivory tower is impossible and undesirable. To yield subjectively, not merely to a party machine, but even to a group ideology, is to destroy yourself as a writer. We feel this dilemma to be a painful one because we see the need of engaging in politics while also seeing what a dirty, degrading business it is. End quote. Seen from this perspective, magical realism can be a more powerful weapon than combatant uh, sloganeering, and especially in dangerous times. Two books that come to my mind as great examples of this are Ernst Jünger's uh, On the Marble Cliffs and Anna Kavan's Ice. Both are masterpieces of uncanny criticism, not against this or that tyrant, but against tyranny in general. The reader fills in the irrational voids with his or her own projections, and a literary collaboration between writing and reading begins in the best possible way. The effects of reading magical realists, like for instance those I mentioned, bring for me, and I suspect for others too, an elevation of the mind and a sense of awe of what's always possible, literally between the lines. 
an encouragement to remain in a state of mind that encourages irrational and experimental ways of connecting the dots. We're not talking about a strict passage from point A to point B, as in a straight narrative, <clears throat> but rather jumping barefoot in a dyslectic playground that contains all the letters and all their possible combinations. Not only can new words and sentences arise, also new meanings, perspectives, facets of truth and perceptions of reality. Is it modernism, postmodernism, surrealism or nothing or all of it? It really shouldn't matter and that's one important key to it. We simply enjoy the experience itself. We don't always need to know why. But if we absolutely do not enjoy whatever it is, then we are more inclined to go analytical. But what the academics dissect and disseminate eventually loses its potency. The discernible smallest common denominator doesn't necessarily contain the truth or any truth at all. It's only the picture that is so big that we cannot see all of it that can properly convey the truth. If there even is such a thing as truth. Displacement, jogging and distortion of the expected almost paradoxically allows for a clearer image. Just like the psychedelic experience through LSD comes from the brain trying to recreate order after the initial chaos brought on by the chemical agent. Making things connect again after the chaos that challenged inertia through a temporary increase in synaptic activity. And that not only brings eye candy and new connections, but also, potentially, deep and joyful insights about how you live your life and why. We can see then that magical realism is not merely a literary technique or tradition, it is very much an attitude to life itself. Enhance a little, experience a lot. The expression of inner subjective truths is not only the territory of the poet or the magical realist, it is also the territory of myth. Our most vital myths have most often not been transmitted via straight narratives of he said, she said, or in soberly rational records of who killed who and then took what. They have been transmitted via enchanting fairy tales, fantastic stories and images that are literally, and this is important, beyond belief. In this mythical sense, it's not surprising that the magical realism of the early to mid 20th century uh, experienced <coughs> a renaissance during the psychedelic 1960s. Not only did Hermann Hesse sell millions more copies of his books like Siddhartha and Steppenwolf, but also more highbrow authors like Borges found new audiences in the chemically enlightened generation of post-World War II who already could see through the seductive language of advertising that was 
perfected in the American 1950s, and that always seemed to bring with it a coup d'etat somewhere on less fortunate shores and continents. Is there a mythic force or function within magical realism? I would say so, because it caters to layers that are willing to accept accentuations that are not based in the strictly rational. There is also an important comparison we have to make here to what I call memetic manipulations. If we think back at the past five, six years, we have seen a lot of that, specifically within politics. Brexit was a result of it, Trump's political reign also. The memetic manipulations also appealed to the irrational and more specifically to the emotional and the symbolic spheres, but these were not created to elevate but rather to debase the receiving end of the stick. Could there be a mythic force within this memetic manipulation? Can it generate educational roots that affect the cultures of the future? I believe that its form already has, the form of reality TV, news, the contemporary documentary style, etc. But what about the content? Isn't it just absurdist ranting, demented slurring, involuntary gestures hell-bent on self-destruction, or primitive diversions? some inebriated rebel rouser taking selfies inside the Capitol building in Washington is surely not on par with the storming of the Bastille or the Tsar's residence in St. Petersburg. The answer is of course no it isn't, but given the chance and assistance with formulation and dissemination, the rebel rouser could definitely become an Amer American folk hero a la Jesse James, Billy the Kid, Bonnie and Clyde, or even Charles Manson. Let's not forget that Charles Manson is the American president in J.G. Ballard's highly prescient novel of magical hyperrealism called Hello America, in which Manson is running the US from the new political power hub of Las Vegas. Is there a distinct rela relationship between magical realism and the shadow side of mimetic manipulation? Both essentially state that whatever we perceive and experience isn't fully and truly true. Our perceived reality is malleable. Both set the expected narrative aside and create a new interpretation of reality, sometimes literally beyond belief. Both challenge the present hegemonic structures, albeit in different approaches, in subtlety on the one hand and blatant screaming on the other. I would say that magical realism has an altruistic agenda of opening the mind up for the sake of its own well-being. Memetic manipulation wants to fill that same mind with an arbitrary agenda, not for the sake of that specific mind's well-being, but for that of the formulators. 
some people will analyze demographics, statistics, sociology, anthropology, and other academic constructs in order to try to understand what's already been spelled out for decades in the US and also beyond, of course, thanks to their grand scale uh, media imperialism and monoculture which is that all scenarios, strategies and mind frames have already been presented in the most palatable form there is, fiction, thereby programming rather than merely entertaining. Fiction rules supreme. Fiction is not only the new fact, it is also at the core of contemporary identity formulation. We are no longer simply who we are, but mainly what we consume in terms of fiction and also uh, how we display that consuming process to others. We live in a culture of attributes rather than essence. And if someone offers a more pleasing or more refined attribute to which our identity is already more or less connected, people would change along with any changes made to the attribute in question. This goes for clothes, styles, catchphrases, discourse, behavior, consumed fiction, etc. In this sense, it's not only a Nietzschean, but also an Orwellian nightmare in which what we so politely and nicely called, call sharing on social media is a complete masochistic resignation to blurring the boundaries between a private sphere and a public one, in which our data is not only mined like minerals, but also thoroughly exploited and commodified for the benefit of the highest bidder. The mimetic manipulations we have been exposed to over the past decade is a result of exactly this process, in which the language of fiction, both formal and narrative, has been used to seduce and coerce until the mass reached its, its critical point and the relationship roles were ultimately reversed. Fiction is now fact and vice versa. Lies are now the truth and vice versa. And all those cynical euphemisms that are so much fun and they're always new. Like the story we share and which the platform in question removes after 24 hours, and the verbs that arise from the platforms, I will text you, please DM me, or Snapchat or TikTok, all alluding to the enforced impermanence and aggressive devaluation, worthlessness even, of the individual human expression. There is an indefinite number of examples of how exposure to fictional form and content paved the way for this critical mass point. Let's watch some TV. West Wing, Boardwalk Empire, Succession, etc., etc., <clears throat> all normalizing the abnormal through the seduction of fiction, that is, from a civilized perspective. And of course, the reality TV, so-called, too. 
The Apprentice, Keeping Up with Kardashians, etc., etc. And let's not forget all the idol and talent shows in which the best possible copycats or emulators are rewarded in perfect humiliation of self-negating mimicry. It's all a bizarre blur, far too complex to fully comprehend and take in. I guess we all remember Kim Kardashian in the Oval Office suggesting ideas for prison reform to the reality star president. Something her father Robert had already touched upon back in the media blitz of the O.J. Simpson days, surely. And another instance, from my own experience, in an episode of Boardwalk Empire, the colored staff of the hotels on the boardwalk in Atlantic City go on strike, picketing with their signs and demanding higher wages. Almost exactly 100 years later in our general timeline, I was in Atlantic City with my wife and we saw an exactly similar scenario. A magical realism simulacrum, with hotel workers picketing on that same boardwalk in front of the casino and hotel called the Trump Taj Mahal. A place that just after this moment went bankrupt by the way. And let's not even delve into the actual reality TV show, The Apprentice. Blueprints upon blueprints which over the years have been written about, laughed at, discarded and ridiculed. But blueprints nonetheless, and as such highly successful ones. Inside your own refined ivory tower of ultimate understanding, most people on the outside seem ridiculous, unintelligent and pathetic until they start tearing down your tower because someone told them to. Most of us are familiar with the expression hindsight is 2020. Meaning, it's easier to see clearly when we look back at what's been. But if you take into account that most people and generations repeat the same mistakes over and over, I'm not so sure it's all correct. It seems that even a perfect vision doesn't guarantee that there's an adjoining understanding of what's seen. The relationship between clarity and potential understanding has been present in basically all of our magical history as well. Individuals or groups can receive or provoke epiphanies and great insights in various ways, almost as if these are inherent within us. But that doesn't mean or lead to anything if the surrounding power structures aren't willing to validate at least the brave attempts at developing these existing structures. As we all know, the agency of self-preservation within power structures is definitely as strong as that within human individuals. No one wants to rock the boat to rock, unless there's someone in the boat who's, un who's uncomfortable or ostracized for being too odd, challenging or creative. <clears throat> there's always a rebel who gets up, rocks the boat and builds his own vessel eventually, 
or simply hijacks another boat and flaunts a newly designed pirate flag to rewrite a history of utter subjectivity. Not seldom with a new and improved message that will convince acolytes new and old that they also need to join in. 2020 was also a specific year, one permeated by a global pandemic and a general unrest because of an upheaval of the well-known and a violent uh, takeover by a displaced shadow to deliberately force others to wallow even more in chaos. What I mean by displaced shadow is a being that is out of its own element in the misdirected belief that it belongs there. The political and other ramifications this confusion always automatically bring are disorder and anarchy. An uprooting of building blocks and foundations such as courtesy, decency, upholding the rule of law etc. There are many examples how the integration of new technological platforms have been used to analyze and sway populations for purposes of no real use to the populations, but rather only to the strategists, architects and well-funded and well-paying displaced shadows. Large segments of the population, mainly based in Anglo-Saxon Christian cultures, were easily taken over by the use of mass media itself. What we have seen recently are just the inevitable results of this dissolution and confusion. The blatant upheaval of very basic concepts and contracts like truth, law and honesty. But, okay, enough of realism for a while. What then of the magical itself? Of what relevance is it that some cognoscenti occasionally paraphrase, paraphrase the writings of chaos magic from the 1980s in their comments on current political methods? Where chaos memes and sigils are celebrated as cool tools of political manipulation, readily available for the highest bidder. I have seen this happen, both pro and contra memetic manipulation, as if both sides try to score bonus points by affixing themselves to a magical system that was created in order to not be a system at all in the first place. If there was any allegiance within the chaos magic of the Illuminates of Thanateros, IOT, at all, I would define that as ultra-individualistic with a possible streak of paranoia in regard to draconian structures and cultures, in no doubt influenced by their most well-known member, William Burroughs. And in this, not at all unlike the Temple of Psychic Youth, or Topi, who at the same time also made great use of memetic magics in the form of networking, sampling within music and writing, and generally anti-draconian streaks. <clears throat> all included in a package that also contained taking on the magical heritage of Spare, Crowley, Barros, Geisin, and many others.
basically the memes or sigils function is magical and essentially apolitical in its pure form. Unless, of course, some magician or savvy technician wants to have the meme or sigil to behave within some political process. That then literally creates a whole new and desired scenario or narrative. Magic as such is never an objective ideal. It's a cluster of attitudes and methods that can be used by people of different, differing mind frames and opinions. And from this utilitarian perspective, magic is not at all unlike politics. It's a structure, method and lifestyle that allows for manipulation of others under the banner of subjective idealisms. <clears throat> Whether we write, read or perhaps even read what we write ourselves, the elevation that magical realism brings allows for a wider and more colorful perspective. The use of mimetic manipulation and other techniques of fiction for immediate causal gain should probably best be called realistic magic. It's the sphere <coughs> It's the sphere that is rationally quantifiable rather than perceived with the senses and inner feelings. That's not evil or bad in itself. In a way, we all do it in the working of our magics for personal purposes dealing with real life. But perhaps the dividing line is really about when you use other people, third party individuals, as leverage for your own gain and you do it in a scheming and cynical way good bad uh, i don't know but we can see that magical realism isn't the same as realistic magic nor is it its absolute diametrical counterpoint they are certainly related but one is for you and your relationship with yourself whereas the other has to do with your relationship with others Realistic magic, for me, is also somehow quantifiable, visible, apparent to others. The equation or association between cause and effect certainly doesn't need to be apparent to others in order to function, but for the magician it probably should be. One could then perhaps say that magical realism is an attitude towards life and realistic magic one particular kind of causal application of this attitude. Louis Aragon, one of the masters of a magical realism bordering on the surreal and the fantastical, produced many great insights about these dynamics. Quote, Reality is the apparent absence of contradiction. The marvelous is the eruption of contradiction within the real. End quote. And quote, the property of the poetic image, as opposed to the essential image, if I may rely on this mediocre epithet, is to incarnate this quality of material materialization, one that exercises a tremendous power of a man and is quite capable of making him believe in a logical impossibility in the name of logic. The poetic image represents itself in the form of fact, adorned with all facts' necessities. But fact resides not in the object, but in the subject. Fact exists only in terms of time, that is to say, 
of language, end quote. And, quote, men pass their lives in the midst of magic precipices without opening their eyes. They manipulate grim symbols innocently, their ignorant lips unwittingly mouth terrible incantations, phrases like revolvers, end quote. I think that what Louis Aragon is referring to is that essentially whatever we look at can be a means to an end. Whether it's art, technology or politics, it's all used by people of different persuasions and in quite similar ways. Aragon also wrote that the image is the path of all knowledge. Meaning, I suppose, <clears throat> that the smallest element that literally contains more than an intellectual understanding of words and messages can be even more powerful. And here we drift into the symbolic and also therefore touch upon the mythic. The clearer the symbol, the stronger the power. But as with all things, the force can also backfire. <clears throat> As we exhale, we can now delve forever into analyzing the data, experiences, first and second and third hand reports, smartphone video footage, and a million memes, pro as well as contra, whatever it is we're looking at. And I certainly hope someone will delve into that and report something smart back that we don't already know. But as for intuitively grasping the bigger picture, embracing the intelligence of magical realism might be a better path than throwing oneself head first into the fierce combat zones of intellectual and moral rigidity. The slight distortions and their reactions always reveal more than loud vulgar causality. In a way, our current discourse is like a medieval magician screaming his spells louder and louder when no benevolent, spi benevolent spirit initially arrives to do his bidding, to the degree that his God-fearing neighbors dial 666 to the Inquisition. Instead of changing the individual perspective, mind frame, an understanding, weaving in intuitive interpretations of a process that is never causal or simple, and expressing himself in eloquent poetic form to attract and then command the spirit. This disgruntled magician simply expressed and displayed his own frustration, and thereby played right into the scenario or narrative of the draconian powers that be. All the while the spirit looked on and hoped for better and smarter magicians to come along, regardless of which side of the moral fence they might stem from. As a hopefully suitable or suitably hopeful end to this harangue of contemporary pessimism, I would like to offer a morsel of light based in and on our conclusion. It's a very short story called A Universal Infamy of History, and it goes like this. After having indulged in a harangue of contemporary pessimism, unsure of whether anyone had listened, 
The author wanted to offer a morsel of light based in and on his conclusions. He got up from his desk and exited his apartment. Down on the street, on the pavement, he undressed until fully naked, then spread his wings, ruffled his feathers and flew up and away. From his new perspective he could see his entire city, with all its people rushing, stressing and hunting for illusions constructed exclusively by others. Alas, there is no point to any of this, nor to anything really, he sighed, and then flew away to the forest, where he built a nest together with a bird of paradise that had eloped from the tropics. They relaxed and enjoyed their simple life until it ended. Thank you for listening to Embracing Magical Realism. For more information, please visit carlabrahamson.com and patreon.com slash vanessa23carl. That's either carlabrahamson.com and or patreon.com slash vanessa23carl. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.